0: God bless you. So with this morning, I'm just going to take a few moments. I'm not going to be too long, but we're going to look at Palm. what Palm Sunday is about, what it means, what we can take from this day for our own hearts and, and lives. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you might like to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21 I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 to 14 if you don't have a bible with you that's fine just sit back and listen some of us might have that as a paper version or you might have it on your iPad or your phone or whatever it's not going to come up on screen as such but if you want to follow with me that would be great in Matthew 21 and if you haven't come prepared like that then that's fine sit back relax and listen that's okay too okay so Matthew chapter 21 And verse 1 to 14, and I'm reading from the New King James, slightly different translation if you've got the NIV, New International Version, but uh, so this is where we're going to go. So, Matthew 21, verse 1 reads like this. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent out his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied And a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Verse 4. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying... Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. A, a colt is a, a young donkey. Yeah. Um, verse 8 And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, others cut down branches, these were probably palm branches, hence we get Palm Sunday, from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before them and those followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And verse 10, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved and saying, Who is this? There's a real commotion going on. So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus went up into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and when and he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them so palm sunday uh, takes the name from the cutting down of the trees and the putting the, the palms on, on, the, on the ground and waving them in the air to celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem. In actual fact, uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem. This, this story comes when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the day of the Passover. Passover was one of the great um, pilgrimage festivals That uh, the Jews would have celebrated each year as they came together over a seven day period celebrating. God passing over, the angel of death passing over them in Egypt and then them coming out of Egypt in freedom. And uh, it was an amazing celebration. And it was such that the city of Jerusalem, people came on pilgrimage. It was one of those things within Judaism that, that your heart was set to do, that you must do, that you should do, that you wanted to do. And so on this day, the city of Jerusalem, the the numbers of the people in Jerusalem would have swelled by five times. There'd be two, three, four hundred thousand people in the city. It would have been a throng. It would have been a festival. It was exciting. And it was on this day that Jesus chose to come into Jerusalem. And uh, there was a sense of clamour. There was a sense of praise. There was a sense of triumph. This was a very courageous thing for Jesus to do because he he, he knew that he would face certain... um, challenge from the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. He knew that this wouldn't just be a challenge, it it was going to lead to his death. He knew what was set before him, and yet he set his face and heart to go to Jerusalem, identifying himself as the Messiah, the to bring freedom to not only the Jews, but the whole, very whole world. Now, In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a third of each of the Gospels is given to these next five days. The last five days of Jesus' life, the very last five days of Jesus' life, a third of Matthew, a third of Mark, Luke, and John is given to those last five days. And Palm Sunday, this, this first Sunday, this entrance into Jerusalem, was the doorway or the beginning of the process or the journey that led Jesus to the cross. Amazing. On this first day, there was this great triumph and clamour, and yet, and yet by the next Sunday... There would be the, the, by the next Friday, rather, there would be the, the, de- the death, the burial, and then by the Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. There would be this great clamour, and yet there would be this great sense of crucify him, crucify him, in just a five, short five-day period. It's quite incredible. And uh, it's what in the Christian calendar people refer to, churches, denominations refer to as Holy Week. And so for many Christians, for over a billion Christians... It's a billion across the face of our planet. This this is the beginning. Uh, It's not in the Bible as such, but it would be classed as Holy Week. The very first steps towards the cross and the resurrection. And so next Sunday we're celebrating as a church Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we'll be celebrating that together. What I must be reminded is this. This Friday... I didn't mention this, and so I'll just backtrack for a moment, but this Friday is our Good Friday service here in the church auditorium where we serve a breakfast at 9 o'clock, and then we take communion together, and we celebrate Jesus' death uh, on our behalf. And so that's this Friday. It's open to all. It's a free breakfast. At 9 a.m., we'll be celebrating Good Friday. It's a Good Friday service. And then next Sunday is our Easter Sunday Resurrection Celebration Service. And so we see, uh, so this is the doorway to the cross, Palm Sunday. Uh, So from this this account, there are three thoughts that I want to share that perhaps we can prepare ourselves over these five days. It's interesting that in Christmas, Christians prepare themselves over the Advent, the the advent of Christ. And and so there's this idea of advent and a number of weeks of preparation for Christmas. Um, For Easter, there's an idea of Lent, which is a, a period of preparation, preparing our hearts as we reflect and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And so this morning, I just want to take three simple thoughts that I'm going to take from this story to just help us for a moment or two Maybe reflect and prepare us for Easter. The first thought is this, and it's the people's expectations. The people's expectations. As Jesus came in, there was a huge clamor. People were excited that Jesus was riding in, Jesus rode in on a donkey. He rode in and there was a huge clamour to the sound of Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People were rushing, flocking. There was a huge procession as he came into the the city. They threw their coats on the ground. They They threw palm branches onto the ground and into the air. They were giving their hearts and lives. And people were saying, who is this Jesus? Some were saying, it's the great prophet from Nazareth who's coming into the town. And there was a real sense of wonder, excitement, not only for Passover, but Jesus was coming into town. And there was a real sense of expectation in the mix and in the crowd as he rode in. He rode in on a donkey, which is very interesting. What he was doing there, when he rode in on the donkey, you'll see in verse 5, it's a a fulfillment of a prophecy from the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah Chapter 9, verse 9, which reads, Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming in on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was hundreds of years. This prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9, about the Messiah, the king, coming into Jerusalem on a donkey with great rejoicing. It was hundreds of years before Jesus actually came in and fulfilled that prophecy. And this was in the minds of people. Good Jews would have understood Zechariah 9.9 as Jesus came in riding on a donkey. And there was this sense of, could this be the the Messiah, the king, the one to be king coming in on a donkey? This would have been the expectation in the hearts of the people on the day. Mixture of many, many things going on. But this is what was happening. And Jesus came in. But the interesting thing is that he came in on a donkey. And it says a, a foal or a colt of a donkey. What most Bible scholars believe is that they're probably the, the, the mother and then the foal probably came into Jerusalem together and that Jesus was probably riding in on the foal, which is a baby donkey, which would have been a bit unusual. I mean, the donkey in Eastern culture, for us, is you know, we say, well, it's just a donkey, but in Eastern culture, it was a working animal. It was very prized. And... Uh, but Jesus came in on the probably on the, the foal or the colt. And so his feet would have almost been touching the ground. It, it would have been quite in, bizarre almost, interesting, that he came in on not just a donkey. It, you see, so kings, kings, the, the picture here is of a, like a triumph, coming in in a big procession. Conquering kings came in procession into a city, and everybody hailed the king. They would have come in on a war horse, which would have been... The biggest of horses. The next would have been a kingly horse, which would be been a bit smaller. Uh, the, the next sort of animal would be a donkey, the beast of burden, as it were. And the next would be a foal. So, so Jesus is coming in on a, probably a foal, his feet touching the ground on, on just a cloak. And here he is coming in. He's coming in fulfilling this kingly prophecy. So the people had in this, could this be the new king? Could this be the Messiah, the one who's going to deliver Israel? And yet he's coming in and coming in with great humility in a sense of peace and hope, and that the Messiah is bringing peace and coming in with humility. Probably within the minds of the people of the day, hot off the the back of history would be this. So there's a sense of expectation. There's a sense of history and tradition. Uh, With the people, there's there's this mixture, lots of stuff going on. And in the expectations of of the fulfilling of the prophecy, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the King? Um, there's also a, a, an understanding about 150 years, 160 years before Jesus comes in. There was a, a, a man called Judas Maccabeus, and Judas Maccabeus led a revolution against a man, a king called Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes was a Greek monarch who ruled what was called the Seleucid Empire that was Egypt and all of Palestine. In the days before the Romans, 160 BC. And Antiochus set up Greek gods in the temple and temple prostitutes in the temple of the Jews. It was an abomination of desolation. Daniel speaks about this in the Old Testament. And Judas Maccabeus rose up from the house of the Maccabees and led a revolution whereby he rode into Jerusalem as a kingly conqueror, overthrowing this Antiochus and the Greek monarch of the day and restored temple worship. That happened in 160 BC. And in the minds of the people, there's this mixture of the history of the Maccabees and Judas Maccabeus, who came in as a king on a charger and brought the new temple to be restored. Here we are under Roman rule, the Jews thinking something similar. Could this be the new king? There's mixed, lots of messages going on here. And in their hearts and lives, they're thinking, could he be the one to restore the temple? To restore the temple against Roman rule of the day. So there's the expectations There's tradition, there's history, there's also people getting caught up following. There's a big following of Jesus because people followed the miracles. He was famous now by now because of all the great miracles. And yet they didn't quite know who he was really at the time. There was this mixture of all sorts of things going on. They said, could he be the prophet? Didn't realise he was at this moment the son of God. But there's this whole mixture of expectation going on. Mixture of tradition... A mixture of people following the crowd and emotion and following in the miracles, which was people were looking to do. And uh, uh, the, the history. There was this whole mixture of stuff going on and expectations. You know, I don't know about, but for you and I, there's something to learn. My expectations of God. The mixture of my tradition. The history. We have now 2,000, over 2,000 years of history since Jesus came into this world left this world since his resurrection, and we're looking for his new return, his second return. And we have th- two, several thousand years of history and tradition. Some of it very good, lots of it good, but also a lot of tradition and history that can get into our expecting. And we expect all sorts of different things of Jesus, who Jesus, how he'll do it, when he'll do it, um, does it will he do it like this? Does the Holy Spirit move like that? Well, that's what Anglicans think. This is what Pentecostals believe. There's this whole mix of of tradition, of history, and then expectation. Some will follow Jesus because of the miracles that he does, but Jesus wants us to follow him for who he is. Expectation, tradition, history. You know, these things can be good, but they can also get in the way. And this Easter... This might be your very first Easter as a Christian. This might be a person, you're you're a person that's not sure about Easter. This for me would be my 39th Easter as a Christian. There's a lot of stuff that can get in the way of experiencing Jesus for today, who he is right here, right now, opening up our hearts. And there is a danger that tradition and history and misplaced or misguided expectation could get in the way of what God wants to do in your heart today. And for me, it's preparing my heart today for Jesus, the living one. Second thing I want to say is this. Jesus is the saviour. Second thing that we can see from this um, Text is this: Jesus is the savior. It says there in verse nine, when the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, "Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!" Hosanna in the highest. This is a this is a, a quote from Psalm chapter 118, verse 25 to 26. This this is this is a again a fulfillment of pro- a prophetic quote from Psalm 118. The word Hosanna. We sang the song this morning, Hosanna. The word Hosanna, it, it very often is, um, people will, will um, include this as a, an expression of worship and that the people were worshipping and singing in a festivity to Jesus. The word Hosanna literally means save now. That's what it means, the word Hosanna. Save now, save us now. And if you read Psalm um, 118, it's, it will start off with there, verse, in verse 25, Save us now, O Lord. Uh, it's, 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 that's the literal translation. What happened over, over time? And so this is a, a declaration of acknowledgement that God, the people calling out to God to save us, to save them and to save us and save us now. And uh, over the centuries, uh, within Jewish culture, what happened was this this expression was linked into a, like, a, like, a lit, like a liturgical way of worship. And so it's been identified as, as the people were worshipping Jesus. But, but that's, that's sort of true. But if we come right back to what it literally means, it's a, it's a declaration of heart desire. Save us now. You know Jesus is a savior and human beings need a savior to just as much today. A savior is a person who saves us from danger. A saviour, if someone is your saviour when you're drowning, it's, it's a person that, that, that plucks you up, plucks you out and saves you from danger. And uh, Jesus accepts himself, this, this idea that, that he is the saviour of the world. He is the, our saviour, not only the Jew saviour, but the saviour of, of all mankind. Uh, the, we, the, we, he saves us from sin and saves us into life. From sin into life. Sin literally is, is this, it's, it's really been saved from me, my, and I, to sin. You might think, well, what, to sin? You know, there's, there was, used to be an old-fashioned old saying, it would have said, they're living in sin. I'll tell you what sin literally means. You might think it's not for me, I'm not, I don't live in sin. <laughs> you might be saying, I'm not a sinner. Sin is this, it's me, my, and I. It literally means to miss the word sin literally means to miss God's mark. And to sin is mankind living for me without God. That's what it literally means to sin. To sin literally means for me to live without God. Don't need God. I do it myself. Frank Sinatra sung that incredible song, My Way. Over the years, I've taken a lot of funerals, and I've heard that song sung at the end of a lot of funerals. My way. You know, the final curtain? I did it my way. Um, Well, my way without God is exactly what Jesus comes to save us from, save us from ourselves. So why? That we can have a relationship with God. He saves us from ourselves, from sin, living without God, to a life with God. How amazing is that? That's what Jesus, this is why Christians celebrate Easter, celebrate the resurrection of life, because Jesus on the cross takes the punishment for our living, for me without God's sin. He's the Redeemer, the Savior for me without God. It's incredible. At 20 years of age, I lived my life for myself up to 20. I wasn't a bad person, I don't think. I thought I was a decent person. But at 20 years of age, I realized I wanted and needed God. I needed God. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ so that I could not live my way, but I want to live God's way. When I pass this earth, I hope and pray that it will be sung he lived God's way, not my way. Frank Sinatra, you know, maybe a great singer, a great entertainer maybe, but I want it sung that he lived God's way, that I had a relationship, I lived the life of the relationship with God. We can only do that through Jesus. To save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, we need a savior. Today, you might not realize it, but being a Christian doesn't mean that you just re- you can read the Bible. That's good. Um, you can come to church. That's that's fantastic. You can even say maybe there's a God. Well, that's even that's amazing. But a Christian is a Christ one. It's someone who says, "I need you, God. I I I recognize that I've lived life for me without you, and I want to live." with you and for you and the a relationship with you and I accept and forgive me for living for me. I want to live for you and we give our lives to God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. A man called Rick Warren says this about salvation and Jesus the Saviour. Through salvation, our past... Through salvation, our past has been forgiven. Our, uh, our present given meaning And our future is secured. Through Jesus' death on the cross, burial in the tomb, and resurrection, that's salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secured. I have a hope and a promise, a promise of life and a hope for today. That's what Easter is about. How amazing is that? And thirdly, uh, and for you and me, and thirdly and finally... Brings me on to my third thought for just this morning. For you and I to take away. Jesus clears the temple. <coughs> you see it there in verse 12. As on his entry, Jesus... So there's a bit of debate here. Either this happened later in the part of the, the day of his entry into Jerusalem or, the, or just the very next day. On the Monday, possibly. It's, if he enters at Easter Sunday, uh, on sorry, on Palm Sunday, then the, the cleansing of the temple is, is either, you know, some hours later, other gospel writers put, put, put this cleansing of the temple maybe the beginning of the very next day. But Matthew has, for some reason, brought this together and it's, it's, it's interesting and uh, the way that Matthew writes here. And it says that Jesus clears the temple and says, Then Jesus went to the temple of God and drove out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. In the temple at that time, it was permitted for there to be money exchanges." and the sellers of doves and, and certain animals for the sacrifice. These were legitimate things of the time. So why on earth then, don't know why that's gone. So, so why on earth did Jesus overturn all these things? Why did he do that? Why is Jesus coming when these are legitimate things? To go to the temple, you had to pay a, a, like an offering or a temple tax, but it was in a certain coinage. So what people did was they brought they brought their, it's like, I suppose you want to change everything so you can go and pay in euros if you go abroad. There was a certain coinage for the temple tax. I'm being a bit simplistic. But you brought your, from all around the world, your money and you change it into this certain coinage that you could use at the temple. That was why there were money changes there. Also, you had to—you uh, would bring a sacrifice, a certain dove or an animal. And so this is why there were people selling animals there. Well, what it was, the animal or dove that you sacrificed had to be perfect. So you were guaranteed the best. You could bring your own from wherever you went. You may have gone to Home Bargains. Not saying that Home Bargains is a bad place to go, by the way. It's, it's, not, it's not rubbish quality, but... In that that respect, is it? I don't know. Um, But you were guaranteed if you bought your sacrifice at the temple, it would have been quality checked, in other words. But this is what happened the buyers and sellers outside the temple had brought their buying and selling into the temple albeit in the court of the Gentiles, which was the outer court, court of the Gentiles, court for women, court for the men, court for the priests, then there's a holy place. There was these different courts that led. It was all part of the temple, right? That's the gist of this. And they were buying and selling in the court of the Gentiles. And what had begun to happen was, because it was you know, quicker and easier and you could just quick get you and in you go. But what had happened was this had grown so much that it was beginning to take over the outer court. So, Gentiles, that's me and you, if we'd had turned up there, it would have been a very difficult place almost to get in to the temple. That was number one. That was one thing. Also, what was happening at the time was they were making a bit more money from the exchange rate. There was a percentage they were allowed to charge, but they were making a bit more. And so this is why Jesus says, you're robbers, you're robbing. So there were legitimate things going on, but there was a sense of greed and the crowding out of worship you get the gist of what was happening? And now we know the background. And so Jesus comes in and clears and says, you're, making, you're robbing, you're robbing, you're, you're, you're taking up the worship space. This is a place of prayer, a place of worship, a place where people have access to a relationship with God. And so Jesus clears the temple. Well, how does that relate to you and me today then? Well, look, there's lots of legitimate things in our lives. With you and I, there's lots of legitimate stuff that we do. You know, stuff we buy, stuff we have, things that you own, the house that you've got, the pastimes that you and I do, the things that we like to buy. There's legitimate stuff. There's nothing wrong in the stuff, perhaps, that we do. But it's when it crowds out the temple. In the New Testament, we are the temple. You and I are the temple. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that you, you, yourselves are God's temple and God lives in you? So when there's stuff that begins to crowd out God from our lives... Jesus wants to clear that space so that we have a free access relationship with God. I don't know about you, but with me, there can be legitimate stuff I do in life, or watch, or read, or do, my pastime, or buy, or have. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to do stuff. It's not. I can't I can't see you when I put these on, so I keep taking them off. But it's it's not it's not wrong. That's all legitimate. But when the legitimate stuff of life begin to crowd out God, it breaks his heart, and he wants to clip. And so there's something for you and I to think about today. I think you'll see it on the screen there. Don't let your heart, my heart, get so filled with stuff that we lose our focus in God. And this is what Jesus is teaching on that day. It's incredible. You'd, they were thinking, He's come to chuck out all the Romans. Out you go! But he actually comes to the temple and says, out you go. He wants a relationship with God. He starts in the house. He starts with you and he starts with I. And today, I just think of my heart. I think of my life. So don't let your heart get so filled with stuff that you lose your focus on God. This Easter, maybe is it time to refocus, recharge, refill, come again, look at my life, I'm not so I can't tell you what you've got to do. Only you and God between you and God you will know what you need to do. I know what I need to do. You will know I think from today. And so there's those three things there. You know, the, the, this morning, as we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back if you could. That would be fantastic. You know, to you and I today, you know, it's our expectations. Make sure that they're not misguided or misplaced. Remembering our traditions, our, the things that we like, uh, the things that we follow, the people that we follow, the, the history that we have. Bearing that in mind, let's come afresh and say, Lord, may I see you afresh. May I come with a clean blank sheet of my heart to say, write your love afresh on me today. You know, secondly, he's a saviour. Maybe for you today, it might be the case of, God, I want to live my life with you. Not just with me on my own, but with you. I want to live for you. He's our saviour today. Thirdly, for you and I today, it might be that we need to look at our lives afresh, is there anything that crowds out the heart of God? Your focus on Him, the heart today? I don't know. Let's pray together. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking the moment to listen. I know you probably couldn't go anywhere else because you're sitting there and I've got a captive audience, but I'll still thank you anyway. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Jesus, that you are alive today. This isn't We're not just worshiping a memory. But you died on the cross. You were buried in the tomb. On that third day, the stone was rolled away and you presented yourself to your disciples alive. And today we worship a living Saviour. You come and save us from ourselves. You save us from ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For God so loves the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you today. And today, I bring you my heart. If there's any stuff, anything I do, let's legitimate, that's overtaken my life, a pastime, a habit, things that I do, things that I have, things that I watch, if they've come more in my focus than you, I give you my heart afresh and say, Lord, help me refocus. Maybe let go of some things so that you can take hold of my heart again. I just feel this morning, Jesus wants to take hold of our hearts again. This isn't a do and don't list. God loves you. How good is that? For God so loves the world. God loves you and wants to take hold of your heart it's for you and me to give him our hearts today. Will you do that? Will you do that? I need you in my life, Father. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. We're just going to take just a moment before we sing together. But as the worship team are just gently playing, whoever you are, wherever you are, sitting here right now will you bring your heart before God the fact that you're sitting here today you're not here by chance you've come here for purpose, a reason will you give God your heart afresh perhaps this morning it's for the very first time you're a decent person you try hard You try and live a good, decent life. How good is that? You love your family and friends, your husband, your wife, your children, grandchildren maybe. And yet you know there's something in life. There's something still yet. There's something not quite. There is something missing. It's a relationship with God. Living my life for me without God. Maybe you're here for the very first time and for you it's to say, God, I give you my heart and my life. Forgive me for living for me without you. Please take my heart. Maybe today we're here as believers and stuff has taken my focus. And it won't be perhaps your own making. Your job has become so consuming. It's not your making, but it's the the making of the job. Bring that before God. He will help you. He'll make a way. He feels for you and loves you. Maybe it's a pastime. Maybe it's some some things that we have, and they've got in things stuff has got in the way and it's taken my life. Just this morning, say, Lord, I'm giving you my heart fresh. Maybe you're worried, concerned, and your focus is taken up with a worry or a concern or something that's happening to you or someone's doing something to your life maybe it's to do with work maybe a doctor has said your your health this morning give god your heart father god lord jesus holy spirit we're here from different walks of life different circumstances but each one of us has a heart and we choose as we pray silently in our hearts to come to you afresh. At the outset of this Easter week, we give you our hearts. Please take my heart, Father, afresh, devoted to you, and fill us with the presence, the power, the peace, and the love of the Holy Spirit, and a consciousness of your love. Father God, in Jesus, your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand together as we sing?